Welcome to the Upper Room Community Church Podcast. Wherever you are in your journey, we hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit us at upperroom.ca. So this passage is from Romans 6, verses 16 to 23. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves of sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I am using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at, the time, at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin, you have become slaves of God and benefit you and the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Morning, church. I remember discovering a few years ago something about myself that um, my favorite kind of day is a day where there's lots of potential things that could happen, but no definite plans. I know some of you are already twitching with that because that's like a nightmare for you. For me, it's like the world is my oyster. Whatever could possibly happen in the next 20, it could be this, it could be that, I could do this, I could do that, I could go there or here, but nothing's planned yet. That is like the ideal day for me. I love the choice of what I might do and the array of choices in front of me. Now, you may not be like me, but all of us have that thing where we love to have choices in front of us. Or some of you may be like, oh, you know, going out for dinner, you love the idea of what a kind of food you might possibly choose. For some of you, it's like um, movies you like, or you just like, you know, having 17 different options of mouthwash, if you could choose from, like you just like choice in general. What is that thing? Talk to someone next to you who says you can't talk in church. Talk to someone next to you about that thing, or you rub your hands when you're going, oh, I could choose any one of these things. What is that for you? Just take a moment. All right, if you started a conversation, good news is I'm cutting you off now, but you can have a 30-minute party. You can finish that thing after uh, what you talked about. Uh, I would say that if you were to characterize what it means to be a, a 21st century person living in the Western world, it is this, that choice is freedom. Choice is freedom. We love having options. I mean, I loved when Apple Music came on the scene. I didn't have to buy like certain albums. It's like anything I want to listen to at any point in time. I can introduce my kids to true music when people actually used to play the instruments uh, instead of two guys and a keyboard in a room. But uh, just, just me. I love having the options, the choices. And choice is freedom is truly actually what defines us in the Western world. In fact, our continent... Uh, was formed, in a sense, on the value of personal autonomy and freedom of choice. Um, capitalism, uh, which, uh, you know, is what made the West excel, what exploded economically in the Western world, was based on the premise of something that um, 
I think he was Scottish, um, Adam Smith, uh, a philosopher and economist, many, many uh, in, the, in the 17th century, sorry, 18th century, 1700s, talked about this invisible hand that will move the economy forward. And his theory was that as if each person is free to pursue their own gain to the greatest extent possible, um, then as individuals, these individuals pursuing their own personal gain and freedom and, and, and exercising that, that the whole economy as a whole, the invisible hand will move and the economy will grow. That in a sense, capitalism is based on this freedom to choose, the freedom to make your own way, the freedom to actually make it happen. And then, um, you know, so then in the United States and then years later um, in, in Canada with the Charter of Rights and Freedoms in the United States with the Declaration of Independence, right? Uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, Right, that each person has that freedom. There was lots of good things about that, about carving out, you know, this ground for human rights. Uh, that was, you know, the basis for ending slavery and all those kinds of things. But with it was also that pursuit of happiness. And later on in the 1970s, uh, Canada uh, with the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. What what rights and freedoms, and not only the rights as human beings, but the freedoms and the freedom to choose. We love having choices, and so there are a myriad of songs that we could listen to, millions of um, things that we could choose to watch and depending on the streaming service that you're a part of and how, and, the, and like the major um, you know, selling point of any streaming service is the number of options you can have. And so there are so many choices available to us of what we could listen to, of what we could watch. There are a myriad of choices and things that we could eat in terms of the kinds of foods and what you could learn to cook and the options that you could buy in the grocery store as the number of SKUs just sort of exponentially grows. The number of the hundreds of destinations and places in the world or what you could do uh, for a good time on vacation. And you can Google that and say, if I have one day or three days or if I'm this country or that country or this city, what should I do? And all of the choices presented to us. It's actually what we believe marks our lives as Western people, is that we not only have the freedom to choose, but we have a myriad of choices. And if you marry this history that we have with that as a nation with technology, I mean, the, the, this just the amount of options has just exponentially increased. The, the greatest problem with that is not the paralysis of choice, which can happen. It's just that it's choice is freedom is a lie. It's a lie. We're actually exploring in this series, we're wrapping it up today, a series called Liar, Liar. And our premise is that, not that we tell lies to each other, though we do, but that we as human beings are prone and susceptible to believing lies, things that aren't true, but we think they are, and we base our lives on something that's false, which means we are living out a false reality. And the biblical explanation for this is not just that there, is a, uh, there are lies that we believe, but there is a liar who is called Satan in the scriptures and that his primary MO is not exor like you know, demon possession or you know, the stuff that we might see in the exorcist or whatever, uh, but actually primarily his MO is lying to us. And if he can get us to believe lies, he will destroy our lives because we are living in a false reality. And that the biblical concept of truth is actually truth is reality. Truth is actually waking us up or turning the lights on to help us realize we've been in the dark. And because we've been in the dark, we haven't seen things the way they're really meant to be. And as we kind of come to the close, or even as I say this, this idea that choice is freedom is a lie, something in us goes, that's not true. 
you know, because part of you is like, well, I, I do have the freedom to choose. I can walk out of here today, you know, and choose where I'm going to go eat or what I'm going to do with my time. Or I do have freedom of choice. But the other reason we sort of buck that is because it's so ingrained in us is what it means to be human, the freedom to choose. That if somebody says to you, no, you're actually not free to choose, we're like, what do you mean? Who are you to tell me that? Of course I'm free. That there's this instinctive self uh, preserving protection instinct around our freedom that we say, well, what do you mean? Of course I'm free. That's, in fact, we look at other cultures and sometimes we would pity them because they don't necessarily have the freedom to choose like we do. And we would say, oh, the, what it means to be Western and first world is to be free, is to be individuals, to be democratic, to have the power of the vote and the power of choice. But I want you to stay with me on this as we unpack the fact that potentially choice is freedom is a lie. Because, two reasons, one, it's possible that the very thing that you want in freedom actually comes to you in an entirely counterintuitive way. And secondly, that maybe some of the things you are battling with today, some of the frustrations, some of the difficulties, some of the angst, some of the choices, some of the things that are paralyzing you in the moment to choose or that you're living with the consequences of choices that is actually all tied into our, our belief in this lie that to be free is to have choice. And because I choose, I'm free. The first followers of Jesus went around, it says, uh, you know, as the church was birthed, proclaiming what they called the good news. It's where we get the word gospel from. We talk about the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's the good news of Jesus, according to Matthew, according to Mark, according to Luke, according to John. And it's interesting if you look at their various early articulation, the words that they used to describe good news, that they went all over the known world at that time, that literally spread literally all over the world, with three words that they said, this is good news. These were the three words. Jesus is Lord. If you were to distill the gospel, the good news, into three words, it is these three words. And these three words, they went around everywhere. And in the Roman Empire, it was startling news the, because the, the Greek translation of the New Testament and the Greek uh, translation of this and Greek was the language that the New Testament was most translated into. Christos ho kurios which is not what the Roman culture used to say. Their, their, what rolled off their tongue was Kaiser ho kurios, Caesar is Lord. And so the earliest Christians went around with this alternate kind of, and in fact, the word good news, like is, it was used to describe the proclamation that Caesar was Lord. Good news for the Roman Empire, Caesar is Lord. And Christians went around saying, good news for everyone, Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. It was startling, it was a startling statement for first century people in that time. But for us, it's not only startling, we don't actually understand how that's good news. In fact, I know most of the people that I hang out with who would, uh, church would be the last place they would want to be, or maybe they were for a while and they left, or maybe you're back here after a long time because of this, or it's taken you a long time to reconnect or even enter the doors of a church, although it's not a church, you know what I mean? is because those words like Jesus is Lord and Jesus and the Bible and the church have been used to power up over people. That they've been used as statements of power in order to manipulate and control and even abuse people. And that lots of things have been done in the name of the Lord Jesus by his followers, by the church that represented him, apparently from the scriptures, to use actually to lord things over people. 
to hurt them, abuse them, manipulate them, control them, get money from them. That those who make that statement are trying to power up. And so when we hear someone make the statement, Jesus is Lord, we resist that idea because of legitimately so, for many of us come by it honestly, the history of what we've seen done in the name of the Lord Jesus. So why is this good news still? Why is that statement, Jesus is Lord, good news? Well, the Apostle Paul in writing to the church in Rome, Gabrielle just read for us a little while ago, is actually explaining why Jesus is Lord is good news. And he says, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Now let's just stop right there. The reason Jesus is Lord is good news. The reason choice is freedom is a lie is because the only choice you get is not whether you will be free or not, but who your master will be. No one is free. Someone said it this way, everybody has a Lord of their lives. Paul says, hey, you, all you're choosing is who you're going to obey. Obedience is the human reality, not freedom. Again, everything in us I know is resisting those words. Words like obedience sound so oppressive and so controlling, but Paul's just painting a reality saying, this is just, remember truth is reality. The way things really are, ultimately your freedom leads to allegiance. And he says, I'm using this from your human limitations, you don't get it, so let me borrow an image that you get. You, this, the, the Roman, Greco-Roman culture was, a, uh, you know, the, one of the social orders was slaves and masters. They understood that well. He said, you don't understand. Everyone has a master. Everyone has a Lord of their lives. Whoever you obey, whoever's footsteps you follow, and whoever you go after becomes your Lord. See, this is so interesting, what he says about sin. Sin is a power. It's not a little thing about, well, you did some wrong things. Sin is a power and a master, and it exerts its mastery and its power and its lordship over you. He said sin is a power that leads to death. This is actually a very sophisticated way of understanding sin. He says if you make choices that are sinful, you end up becoming enslaved to those things, and bit by bit, they suck the life out of you. The biblical idea in here and what Romans is talking about in terms of death and life is not primarily about physical death and physical life. The Greeks had two words for life. One was bios, which related to, this is where we get biology, and physical life. Their other word was zoe, which was about vitality. And when he says, some choices you make lead to death and others lead to life. He's saying some choices you make, the more you make them, the more it will suck the life out of you. You shrivel up bit by bit, choice by choice, until there's no vitality left in you and you are a slave to what you have chosen. Alternatively, he says, if you continue to follow Jesus as Lord and Master, 
Your life gets more and more following the pattern of his teaching. And he said, but that doesn't suck your life away. That actually gives you what he calls in Romans uh, 6.23, eternal zoe. Which is not so much speaking about heaven someday, one day. Which is often how we think about eternal life. But he says, he's describing this life that is constantly welling up in you. It's the thing every one of us in this room wants. He says, you don't get to choose freely to be your own Lord and Master. You are going to be a slave to someone or something. Now, this is easy to see for any of us that have battled through an addiction. Any of us that have been under the power of an addiction, you know what I mean when I say the power of addiction. You have no, there's no issue understanding how something or someone can end up having power over you. Right? The, the freedom initially to choose, like let's say in, in a drug addiction context or alcohol, the freedom to choose initially is there, but what happens when you continue to choose, that thing eventually has power over your life and you are not free anymore. You are its slave. You do whatever it tells you. And maybe some of us who haven't battled through an addiction before, we can easily look at people who do and say, what's the matter with them? How could they throw their life away like that? It's because that thing has power over them. And the truth is, every one of us has had this experience. People say, well, do I have the freedom to, yeah. Do I have the freedom to have sex with whoever I want? Yes, you do. You have the freedom to choose. But relationship therapists will tell you that actually if you're in a relationship that you know you need to get out of, a dating relationship, and if the couple is sleeping together, they will tend to stay in that relationship two to three times longer than they would have if they were not sleeping together. So are they free to make the decision to walk away from something that they know is not good or someone they're not going to be with in the long run? Are they? They were free initially, but are they free? No, they are being kept. They're being bound by that thing. Are you free to look at whatever you want to look at on the internet? You are. Except that there's a multi-billion dollar porn industry that makes more money than the NFL, the NBA, and Major League Baseball combined. Yeah, I've thrown this stat out to you before, but Media Smarts, an Ontario media uh, company that did a survey with grade 11 boys in Ontario high school, said two-thirds of them are regular users of pornography. So are they free? Yes. Are they free? No. It has ultimately exerted its power over them and they have become slaves to it. Are you free to pursue whatever work you want, to make as much money as you can? Yes, you are. But there's these things called golden handcuffs. Ever heard of them? It's the phrase, the terminology that describes people who are in a job who are making a lot of money, so they're gold, but they're handcuffs. You can't leave. I mean, you could leave, but you can't leave. I have talked to and seen people who passed up the job of their lives because it didn't make as much money as they needed. They were enslaved now by something they were free to choose and end up ending up working at something they do not like and are not free to actually take the thing they'd love to do because they are enslaved by the idea or the promise of wealth. They were free to choose. Eventually, it had a power over them, and it was telling them what to do. Are you free to buy whatever house you want to live in or buy a house? I always say to couples when I'm doing premarital counseling with them before they bought something, I said, listen, a house is a want right now. It's not a need. At some point, it will become a need. 
I have seen people say, well, I can't do this, or I can't, um, you know, be involved in this, or I can't, I'd love to be more involved in my, you know, family's life, but I travel so much or whatever, or because now I have to pay the mortgage. The mortgage is now a need. You know what a mortgage is, right? It's called, it comes from the word death agreement. Yeah. This thing now controls me, and you can't have buy three rooms worth of furnishing when you have a four-bedroom house, can you? You can't do that. Suddenly, and any of you know this who own anything, it begins to own you. It begins to tell you what you have to do. I am not free to negotiate with my roof. It's 15 years. It's got to be done. I'm not free. I am bound to it. So this isn't just about sin. It's about any choice we make that we have the freedom to do. If we are not careful, we end up becoming enslaved to it. My generation of parents, you know, we spent lots of time on our psychologist's couch telling them about how our parents didn't love us. And, you know, I recall memories of me driving myself to my house league games. I think my parents saw one of my games in two years. They definitely didn't come to my practices. You know what? And I love them. I'm fine. <laughs> really. Some of us just need to know that. I'm fine. I love my parents. I enjoy seeing them. They enjoy seeing me. But house league baseball was not their priority. I just biked myself there. We live in the generation of parents who like, will do anything under the, the banner of opportunities for my kids. And that could be anything. It could be math. It could be sports. It could be art. It could be music. It could be whatever. All of the myriad of choices. Are you free to decide what your kids are going to do? Yes. But how many of you have been in the same shoes as me where Jen and I scratch our heads going, oh my gosh, I am a slave to this schedule. I don't like it. I, I've heard this so many times, but I can't get out of it. I can't do anything. Oh, they really love it but I'm a slave to it, right? We are free to make choices, and yet so often it seems, right? Paul was way ahead of his time in psychology and understanding what choice ends up enslaving you. And the choices we make, unconsciously, we get more and more tied to them, and the words like allegiance and obey start to actually describe our lives more than we really like to think. And oftentimes we can find ourselves in places where we're saying, oh, this is sucking the life out of me. See, sin isn't simply about doing bad things, but letting something or someone other than Jesus dictate our priorities, what we will choose. That's why it's good news that Jesus is Lord and not sin. Right? Paul says, you, that's how you used to be, but you have been rescued from the power of sin, and now you are under the power of Jesus your Lord. He says, now you begin to obey a different pattern of teaching. Remember we talked about the, the name that the disciples used to describe Jesus the most was rabbi, the teacher, the one who led them into truth, the one who told them the truth about the way things are, the one who helped them understand reality. He says, when you begin to obey the pattern of teaching and the pattern of the life of Jesus, you begin to be free from the power of sin, and now you are under the power of Jesus as Lord. So, but here's the thing for many of us who grew up in the church and who would say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. What we were told being a Christian is, is Jesus is your savior. If you believe in him, which like, which means sort of that, oh, he exists, which, you know, Satan believes in Jesus too, just so you know, uh, that we will go to heaven one day. This is basically the good news. 
We didn't know what it meant that Jesus was actually Lord. Picture um, a country that is ruled by sort of a despot dictator king. And he's cruel. And he uses fear and violence to control his subjects. And he has a vast land. And he has his little outposts of his armies that are in every city, in every town, in every hamlet. You can't go to the market, you can't go to the well, you can't do anything, you can't build a house, you can't have a job without those eyes being on you. And whenever you step out of line, there's violence, there's oppression. You're reminded about it every time, everywhere you walk. And then this new king comes and wages war against this evil king and overthrows that king and now sits on the throne. And this king is kind and gentle and generous and views his subjects and his land and his people as something to be built up so that they can flourish. This is the heart and the vision of the new king. But is all of the land under the control of the new king yet? No, it's actually still much more behaving like the old land under the old king. And there's still all these little outposts of armies that are raging resistance wars against the new king, saying, no, we don't like this way. And there are people who live in those towns and houses and hamlets who still live under fear because that's all they've known for so long. So what needs to happen is that king needs to bit by bit take over and spread his new way of doing things and his new rule over every corner of that land. That is a picture of the human heart. We said, oh yeah, Jesus, I love that you're my savior, come. And he comes into the throne, but now there's all these other parts of your life and my life that are resisting his rule. What do you mean you want to talk to me about my sex life? What do you mean you want to be involved in my purchase decisions? What do you mean you want to tell me and talk to me about the way I deal with my friendships? What do you mean you, you want to talk to me about how maybe I'm the problem in my marriage and not my spouse? What do you mean? Why do you want to get into all this stuff, Jesus? You're my savior. I'm going to heaven one day. He says, no, I am your Lord. Amen. And the Christian life and the journey of life is actually seeing every corner of our little hearts come under the rule of Jesus as Lord. And Paul says, the only other option is the old king, sin. You're not free by yourself. You are either progressively under sin's power or you are progressively under Jesus' power. And so if you have said, Jesus, come in and save me, the way he saves you is to say, let me be your Lord. Now, you and I don't want that. Let's just be honest. I want to live in the illusion that I am free and that I know what's best for myself, not Jesus. And the Apostle Paul in this passage is breaking the illusion saying, no, you're not free. You are under the power of whatever you choose over and over and over again. Whatever you think about a lot, whatever you spend money on, whatever you spend time on, whatever you pursue, whatever you make sacrifices for, that becomes your Lord and Master. So you just get to choose who will it be. The reason that Jesus as Lord is good news is because Jesus chose to use his Lordship over you to serve you. Jesus said to his disciples a few days before he died, you call me Lord and Master, and you're right, I am. But I did not come to be served by you. I came to serve you and to give up my life for you. This is why Jesus is Lord. is a relief. 
is an invitation to experience good news, to say, you don't need to live under the rule of a master who sucks the life out of you and uses you up. You know, think about your favorite artist. If everybody who loved that artist stopped listening to them, stopped buying their albums, stopped reading about who they were dating in People magazine and had no interest in them anymore, how long, how much longer would they be famous for? A couple of weeks. The fans have the power over the athletes, over the music stars, and the movie stars. They need us to stay famous. God does not need you to stay famous. He does not need you to love him in order to be worthy of love. He does not need you to worship him in order to be glorious. He is infinitely glorious. He's not a product of his fans, which is why we can trust him because he doesn't need us to fulfill some insecure thing in us that wants to be worshipped, in him that wants to be worshipped, right? Otherwise, that would be the most dangerous, like, codependent relationship of all time. But God does not need you and me to call him Lord in order to still be Lord. He is infinitely glorious, infinitely happy, infinitely beautiful, infinitely powerful, even if nobody recognized it at all, which means when he says, call me Lord, it's not for him, it's for us so that you and I experience the true freedom of eternal Zoe, life upon life, vitality welling up from the inside out, changing the very way we think and act and live and love, so ultimately we get the life we have always wanted. True freedom comes in submission to Jesus as Lord. What does this mean for us Right now, there's lots of things it may mean for you individually. But if you permit me for a few moments to talk about what it means for us as a church right now. We are in um, kind of one of the most unprecedented times in our church's history. Really, as far as I can remember, I've been a part of the church um, from the beginning, first as a volunteer and then uh, three years in as staff. Um, but we are facing a new reality and a new change as a community. A year ago, we became a church in two locations. We have a congregation here in Vaughan and a congregation in Bolton. And over the next year and a bit, we will be launching a third location in King, Oak Ridge's area. And that is for the purpose of seeing Jesus as Lord um, spread out all over our city. We are looking at places and spaces where there are new community centers and new Walmarts and new schools, but no new churches, where there's hundreds of thousands of more homes and more people who need to experience the freedom from sin and the eternal zoe of Jesus welling up in them. The other reason we're doing it is not just for them, it's also for you and for me. Because when we do that, something bubbles up of life in us. When we join Jesus on his mission, when we, like the disciples didn't go around saying Jesus is Lord is some bit of information that they had already mastered and they're like, oh, we should probably tell some people. They couldn't help it. It was coming out from inside of them and they were being changed every time they expressed it. And it's funny because I've heard as we've talked about this as a community, um, I know people don't always tell the pastor directly what they think, which I just want you to know you have the permission to do, but I hear stuff, okay? <laughs> It's this one, this one, someone said to me directly, oh, King is the new sexy thing, to which I was like, we should make t-shirts. Like, that sounds good. Like, you know, the, 
Oh, like that, the new site, that's the new sexy thing. What's going to happen to like Bolton and Vaughn will sort of be forgotten. I can tell you if you ask the people who are contemplating going to King, they don't think it's sexy. Okay. It's going to be a set up and tear down location. Some of them have to leave people that they have been friends with here for so long. Some of them are going to be going to drive a little bit farther, or like step out into a new reality where they were actively inviting their friends and neighbors kind of right out there saying, we don't want just people from other churches to come to this church. We want people who don't go to any church to come. They're going to be stepping into new leadership roles and doing new things. That's happening with our staff and with uh, people in the community. They're contemplating. You can ask them. It's not sexy. But there's something in them that is drawing them to it. But you know what? It's not something that's just happening to the group of people that are going to go. In fact, we had one of our interest gatherings for that. And someone from our Vaughn congregation said, wait, this is actually going to change our entire Vaughn congregation too. Yes. There are going to be 70 to 80 people less in this room that are going to go. And many of those people are people who have been leading in our church from day one. And so what that means is there's a whole lot of new opportunities to step in and lead, to be a part of what Jesus is doing in this kingdom. Because if there's 70 to 80 more empty seats, yeah, we have way more room for more people to experience the goodness, the good news of Jesus as Lord, who live in this city of hundreds of thousands of people. And the places where you live and the places where you work and the people you're connected to and the people you go to school with, that you could drag them into this place to somehow experience the goodness of Jesus. And so this actually means that everything is changing for all of us. And even if you're new here, um, you might be saying, whoa, whoa, like all this transition, some people are new. You know, when, when I first started, um, I won't name the company, when I first started my first marketing job, I got to know all of the people at the company through all the going away parties from people who were quitting. Which is kind of a weird feeling, right? It's like you're, you're excited to join this ship and you're meeting everyone who's like, I'm done. <laughs> so that wasn't a good feeling. So when you come in here and you're new, it's a good feeling to know there are people actually committing even more enough to start something new. Like it should make you go, wow, there's a level of buy-in and commitment. This is a stable place, even though we don't have a permanent address here. That there are people who are actually leading and who want other people to know who Jesus is. And so there's actually disruption for all of us, and yet it is a good thing. We don't want to be so full that people come in and go, I don't know where I would go. We don't want to have new communities get established and new rhythms of life without the presence of Jesus in those places. And so it means that it's change and disruption for all of us. It's actually an invitation to let Jesus be Lord even in that. Right? I've heard people say, well, where are all the new leaders going to come from? Well, we're going to trust Jesus to actually be calling new people in. Some of you. Where people say, oh, like, what's that going to mean? I like the church the way it is. Why is it changing? Because we trust Jesus to say, hey, if we, there are actually more people out there. If we step out in faith and grow, something will happen. You will bring new life to us and to them. This is always about the offer of life. Jesus never invited us to give up something just for the sake of obedience. He says, whoever hangs on tightly to their life will actually lose it. Whoever is willing to give it away finds life. And so this, the invitation of Jesus' Lord is always saying, hey, trust me, I went first. The life that you and I have in Christ is because he was willing to give it up. And so here's uh, what I want you to do. And I'm going to invite the worship team up. You're going to lead us as we respond. You got a little card on the way in and hopefully a little golf pencil. 
And there's three things that I put on there potentially for you that as you contemplate what it means to Jesus, for Jesus to be Lord in your life, um, for some of you, you have been serving in this church for a long time. You're part of the woodwork. You help this thing become a reality. But maybe as you've been doing it, you know, sort of the sense of joy and purpose has sort of ebbed away a little bit. For some of you, you need to say, okay, because Jesus is Lord, I'll ask him to give me a new sense of joy and purpose in his kingdom here. You're part of that. For some of you, it's saying, okay, can I give my best yes to this? I need to prioritize, reprioritize some of my decisions in my life so that I can lean into this more. And for others of you, this is the time in your, in, in your life uh, with Upper Room to move from attending to investing. The church isn't simply a place people gather, it is a community. Now, some of you are new, this is your first time, or you're just starting to figure out, is this, is this home for me? Is this my family? We just want to encourage you, just keep coming. Find home, find a home and a family in here. But some of you that have been here and you're like, hey, I think I actually need to move from attending to investing. The only reason to do this is not because the church needs you, but because Jesus is Lord. And we want to see that good news happen in your life. And I believe it can happen in your life as you trust him. Why would we ask you to do this? Because it's a risk. It's a risk to lean in. It's a risk to step in. It's a risk to submit to Jesus as Lord and get more involved in this movement. I can just say freely, I don't feel bad asking you at all because of what it has done for me and my family. Jen and I were a part of this church when it started and we've done all kinds of things as a part of it. You know, I had no inkling whatsoever that I would be on staff at some point. But we didn't just do stuff. We can honestly say, and I, we were talking about this weekend, we are not the same people we were 14 years ago. We've changed. We are more of the people we really want to be. We're not quite there yet, but we're less selfish than we used to be. We feel like we have more spiritual life in us than we used to have. We feel like we have a greater love for people than we used to have. We feel like we have a greater value for all people than we used to have. We've gotten involved in, in helping people that we never thought we would ever be involved in. We didn't even know um, their problems or the issues or what they were facing. And now it has changed our lives. All for the better. I would not change anything. I remember when I was quitting my job to come do this, my CEO said to me, why would you do this? You know, like, what about your kids? And I said, what do you mean, what about my kids? He's like, well, think about what you're giving up, like all the opportunities you could provide them. You had more money. And I said, well, I could do this if I was just thinking about them because this is what my dad did and I would never change that. I'm not apologizing for any ask I'm making of you because I know what it'll do for your life. And it's not just for me and Jen. There are a myriad of people in our church now who are not the same people they were 14, 15 years ago. They are more radiant, more full of life, more beautiful people than they ever were before because they said yes. When you commit yourself to Jesus as Lord, you get life. And so what I'm going to ask you to do is something a little bit bold, and hopefully you're up for it, is, is if you, during the time as the, as the band leads us, 
there's a bowl on either side of this next to those flowers. If you would be willing to come and just drop that card in there as your act of saying, yeah, I am, I'm making a step here. I'm taking a step of faith. I'm choosing to trust Jesus as Lord. I know for some of you, you could run down and do it. For others of you, every step will be a cost. Every step will be, I don't know, I'm not sure, I'm afraid or whatever. No one's going to ask you for a pint of blood out of this or whatever. You know, this is, this is about being a church family together. But for some of you, this is a really important step today. And if, if you're not there yet, if you still need time to think, that's totally fine. But if, if you are, just come. And, and like I said, if you're new, we don't want you to feel sort of any pressure to do that. Like I said, it should just warm your heart if you see people come down because you're like, wow, I'm a part of a family that actually is leaning in, is actually growing closer together. And so whenever you're ready, just come. And the band's going to lead us in a song of response.